Hi, and welcome to the Beauty Podcast with Sally Hughes, the straight-talking, no-nonsense podcast written and presented by me and brought to you by Avon. We'll be discussing a different topic each week on all manner of beauty issues, from the practical to the political, the deeply serious to the deliciously superficial, all with a host of industry experts at the very top of their game. Today's topic, menopause, is big news. Kathy Burke is livid about it, Meg Matthews has had enough of keeping quiet about it, MP Carolyn Harris wants employers to be a whole lot more compassionate about it, while leagues of normal women are currently panicking about a national shortage of HRT. As someone who hasn't yet reached perimenopause, I mainly just want to know about it, while I still have time to prepare and while women are finally opening up about their own experiences. One thing I do understand is the huge effect hormones can have on our moods, relationships and appearance. Because some 18 months ago, I began to feel unbearably sorrowful, despite loving my life, my husband and my children. I was brain foggy, despite working hard in a job I love. And I lost a great deal of confidence, despite there being no specific knocks or disappointments. A number of tests showed that despite not showing signs of menopause, I was deficient in some hormones, and the treatment, while very much still a work in progress, has helped enormously in beginning to feel normal again. But what about the unwanted signs of menopause and HRT intake that don't always come under a doctor's remit? The hair loss, the rosacea and dryness, the hot flashes, the body hair, lumps, bumps and sweats. Are we just supposed to weather the storm and accept our lot? Today's guests are experts on each side of the coin and have some of the answers. Nadine Baggett is a beauty journalist and vlogger with decades of experience and who, when it comes to experiencing menopause, has proudly been there, done that and got the perspiration-soaked t-shirt. Nadine Baggett, thanks for joining us. My absolute pleasure. Dr Amalia Anna Radnam is a medical doctor specialising in hormone-related conditions and works at the London Hormone Clinic, where she helps patients through the process of menopause. Between them, I know they have much to say, so let's get to it. Amalia, you've said before that a big part of your job is sort of smashing myths and misinformation. What do you commonly hear about menopause that isn't strictly true? People often get confused between perimenopause and menopause. Mm. A, a big area, I think, pre-menopause, before you hit the menopause, you can start getting symptoms of hot flushes and night sweats, not sleeping, but still having periods, for example, and people automatically assume, oh, it's the menopause, um, and, you know, stop using contraception, various things, or start taking HRT. So I think when you're, it's clear to say when your periods stop, that's really when you're hitting the menopause, is, is that's around the time there. And I think the other thing I get across to people is they always think, well, it's a period of time you go through. The menopause is really the next stage. So from mm -hmm. when your periods stop, really until we die as such, that is the menopause. Because what the menopause is, it's a state of hormone deficiency. The symptoms could last for days, weeks, months, sometimes years. You know, I have women in their 70s who are still getting hot flushes and night sweats and things Seems like that. Seems very unfair, Yes, it? not fair. <laughs> I had one lady come in that had documented every hour she'd written down on a piece of paper and she was 72. So... It's not really a transient amount of time. It is the next stage. So the important things are not just treating the symptoms. And some women don't have any. You will get women that have never had a hot flush, hot sweat. They sleep fine. They feel fine. Our bodies all just react very differently to the drop in hormones. So I always say it's a very individual journey for each woman going through it. And then you've also got the health prevention benefits. So it's not just 
say, treating the symptoms. It's preventing osteoporosis, preventing Alzheimer's and your cognitive decline. For some women, the aesthetics is the most important aspect of some people come in just with their skin sagging or loss of muscle tone or hair loss or, you know, the list goes on. I could really go on. You mentioned hair loss and night sweats. Presumably they're they're very common. What are some of the other um, appearance changes that can happen to some women? I think facial skin, and I do think genetics probably plays a big role in this, but definitely our skin tone and elasticity changes because when your oestrogen levels drop off, you lose the elasticity and the collagen in your skin. And for different women, that can be at different rates. So ethnic diversity affects that genetics affects that whether you smoke whether you've got sun damage there are other other factors not just estrogen arms also a lot of women come in and they have what we call bingo wing you know yeah. and it just gets worse then associated with that the drop in testosterone you lose muscle tone so also you can tend to you know when you're exercising at the gym and things like that you can't lift as much as you don't have the stamina that you used to if you're a runner so they're all the more subtle things that people maybe don't notice you just think oh I'm a bit tired or I'm having an off day but your hormones can have quite a significant impact on those things as well your energy levels all of those kind of exercising mood all of those things that also can affect it and would it be fair to say that those sort of outward manifestations those matters of appearance and beauty can hit some women very hard yeah I think they do I think weight is probably one of the biggest things that I find women get quite upset about it's difficult, isn't it, with doctors, particularly as well when you're under the care of the NHS. I think lots of women feel, oh, well, you know, they, they, they don't care about my vanity. They shouldn't mm. have to, you know, you feel guilty about taking mm. up a doctor's time, mm. budget and so on to talk about things that you assume are completely unimportant to others. How much can a doctor do to help with these things? Or is it a question of throwing money at beauty treatments and surgery and all sorts of things, which I'm sure other women do? Yeah, I think it's a mixture of both. I think you're right. If you went to your mainstream NHS GP, I think if you went to them and said, well, I don't want to look old, you're going to get probably a look Short that's shrift. like, yeah, get out. Like, <laughs> because we only really, the guidelines as such for menopause treatment is really if you're having major symptoms. And by that, it's the box standard hot flushes, night sweats, not sleeping mood. And if you don't fit in those boxes, you know, I, I don't think you could go to your GP and say, well, I want to go on HRT for health prevention benefits. Yeah. We're still not in that mindset yet because I think we're still struggling from the Women's Health Initiative study that still scares people about HRT. And we now know that that's nonsense and that that was very old studies and using conjugated hormones. But with the use of bioidentical hormones, there is an element of health prevention. So preventing, you know, using hormone replacement therapy therapy to prevent osteoporosis, to prevent your cognitive decline, your cardiovascular system, all of those kind of things. If you go to a private clinic, you do have the time to spend to discuss these things and what your concerns are. So Nadine, is it is what Amalia's touching on there, is it a two-tier system menopause care? Is there one menopause care for women with money and another for those who are under NHS care? Sadly, I think so, yes. And I think it's a little bit of a scandal. And I think for a long time, women of my age, so sort of women post-menopause will just put up and shut up. And it's now that we're gaining our voice via various different means, actually through social media on yes, my behalf, I agree. Um, that we've started to shout out about it. I'm very lucky. 
I, um, I've been on bioidentical hormones, very similar to what the doctor offers, um, for the better part of uh, 10 years now. And it's been completely life-changing for me. However, if I didn't do what I did for a living, I couldn't afford it. It costs about £1,500 a year to keep me where I am. Now, if I had to choose between that and holiday, I know what i choose. Because you However, know the difference it's made to you. I, I, my career, my sex life, everything is because of my bioidentical hormones. I mean, that's not over-egging it. Mm-hmm. However... Um, I'm lucky that I can afford that, and most people can't. But I have actually guided some of my friends who can't afford it via the NHS. And if you can get a really sympathetic GP and get referred to a menopause clinic like my sister does, you'll get great service. But it's 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 cherry-picking, it's finding... It's, it might be about the postcode you live in, it might be about the empathy of your GP, it might be about what you can afford, so many variables will will help you transition through this difficult journey, which I found easy, but I'm lucky. I mean, you didn't always find it easy. You oh, found God, it incredibly no. difficult before you found the treatment that was right for you. So let's just kind of paint a picture here because I think it's very interesting. You are a beauty editor and have been for many, many, many years. So you know you can look good. You know you do look good. It's your job to a certain degree to look good. What changed for you and did you have a little bit of a crisis about your appearance for a little while? Uh, well, I wasn't only a beauty editor, I was a health editor. So I started writing health at uh, Marie Claire in the Daily Mail and I was writing a regular health page. And actually, it was through a couple of people who had spoken to me who said, um, I, I used to blame my boyfriend, the duvet, the weather, all those things for those symptoms you get when you first, for me, it was always hot flushes at night. And then I was um, on a mutual friend of ours' uh, medical couch having my Botox done. Mm-hmm. And she was injecting me one day and said, are you all right? You've, have you got flu? And I said, oh, no, I'm having one of those hot flushes. She said, well, for God's sake, Nadine, let's take your blood and get this sorted. It'd be ridiculous. And she sort of fast-tracked me through. In her normal inimitable style, the next time I went in, she said, well, you're menopausal. I said, oh, thanks for that. <laughs> Break it to me gently, Francis. Um, but within... A month, she had prescribed exactly what I needed and all of my symptoms had ceased and I just got myself back. It wasn't so much an aesthetic thing for me. I felt like I'd lost my mind for a a good six months, probably. It wasn't pleasant. And did that affect your confidence? Not during the day, apart from the fact that I was shattered. It was actually, uh, uh, because eventually I got referred to Marion Gluck and uh, Dr. Marion Gluck said to me one day, describe your symptoms. I said, well, you know, it's the hot flushes and the lack of sex drive and all that sort of stuff. I said, but the worst thing is, is before I have my hot flush, every single night I wake up probably about between eight and ten times a night and I feel like the worst thing in the world has happened to me. Uh, and I can't explain it. And then the hot flush happens. I said, that feels very strange to me. She said, oh, yeah, Nadine, that's a hormone-induced panic attack. And for the first time ever, my stable emotional and mental well-being had deserted me. And that was far worse when your mind starts playing games. And so I have complete empathy for women who say they can't leave the house, they get panic attacks, their their confidence goes. I mean, that for me was worse than the physical side effects. Amalia, you're looking as though this is extremely familiar to <laughs> I'm you. Sure Do I'm... you hear this a lot? <laughs> yeah, and I think that's what kind of brings me to the point of every journey is different for every woman. There's no, I mean, God, I can't even count how many patients I've seen in the last seven years, but everything is different. Some women, they just come in with vaginal dryness. Mm-hmm. They can't have sex. That's their biggest thing. Mm-hmm. And that's really, you know, distressing for lots of big. women. It's a big issue, yeah. which a lot of people don't take sympathetically to. You know, I had one lady who went and saw her GP who said, well, you know, the old shouldn't be having sex anyway. And I just, you know, my 
heart just sank because I thought, God, how can we think that that's okay for women? That's a terrible thing. Because if it was a man coming in saying that, we'd be like, all right, you know, better do some tests and sort that out. And we all put menopause, hot flushes, night sweats. And if you're not getting those, which not everybody does, women will often suffer with anxiety for five, ten years even without knowing, oh, hang on a minute, when did this happen? Because I got to 50, I've raised three kids, had a job, looked after my husband, done everything. And I've never really suffered from anxiety before, but now I do. So, you know, people don't ask themselves, well, what's changed that's caused this? And it can be such a gradual process. It really does sneak up on you in the sense that just as your periods sort of Mm. start becoming a bit erratic and then you miss one and then have a slightly heavier one, the symptoms come and go as well. I mean, I actually think I was probably having perimenopausal or even early menopausal symptoms even as early as 42 or 43 and it's very funny because it's only most, in hindsight you realize you weren't right yeah absolutely and, and it's very interesting because obviously you know you know me well sally i'm particularly known for being very outspoken and actually as a result i started speaking really openly to some of my friends and some of my most of my friends are probably your age sally so they're a good 10 years younger than me 15 years younger than me most of them were saying why is nobody? Why do my? Why has my mum never told me about this? We've had so many questions about this. I'm going to ask you to be as frank and honest as you would like in the answers. We've got so many to get through, so I'm going to go to them right now. The Beauty Podcast with Sally Hughes is brought to you by Avon, where as well as buying from a rep, you can now shop Avon online for the same great beauty products. Try their best-selling cream to powder foundation, now available in a new matte finish. Browse online through thousands of fantastic ranges from makeup to skincare, perfume to body care. Simply by visiting the online store. So to discover your new favourite beauty product, shop with your rep or just search for Avon online. Now back to Sally, answering your questions in the clinic. Maria wants to know, when it comes to menopause, they say forewarned is forearmed. What's the best way to make yourself knowledgeable and prepared for the inevitable? I think this is a crucial question. What can we do if we're not quite there yet? I don't think you can rely on a health professional to tell you what to do. The patients that I see have generally read, or sometimes if they don't know why they've come, their friends just sent them in. I say, look, go away, read these books and know why you're doing this. And I always say, you know in your body when something's not quite right, but most of the time we're too stressed out or too busy. You should know when you ovulate, you should know when your period's coming. There are signs in your body, but most of the time we just dismiss it or we don't listen. And I would, I, yes, I mean, I'm a journalist, so I would read, listen, watch anything I could get my hands on. Um, but of course, I'm shameless. I would just ask everybody. So I started asking my mother and my sister. I've got a sister that's three years older than me. Um, and asking any women around mm. me who were older, mm. you know, what their experiences were. And some of them said it was the first time they'd ever had a conversation with anybody apart mm. from their GP. And I was, as you were saying earlier on, mm. I was that first generation who'd been taken off the pill mm. and was told to avoid HRT because mm. it was bad for us. Um, and I think for the first time when I spoke to somebody, when I spoke to all of the, I mean, to the main um, medical industry, they're seen as being slightly alternative, but all of the bioidentical hormone replacement therapists, they were the first people that sat down and said, what you're going through is completely normal. Helen's asking, what's the sign of the start of perimenopause and tips to balance symptoms? Probably 
is your entry into the perimenopause, and this could be anything from your late 30s to early 40s, and even... I think it's going to shock most women. Well, exactly, because I think people start panicking in terms of, oh, God, you know, I thought it wasn't till 50. I think the things to look out for are the cycle of your period. So if your periods are pretty regular, that's always a good sign. How you feel during the month. So things like how's your sleep? How's your mood? Most women who probably come to see me in their 40s, so in the run-up to the menopause, it can be sleep mood and what we call premenstrual tension. So mm-hmm. that's normally in the, what we call the luteal phase of the cycle. So you've got over roughly a 28-day period, the first two weeks, you generally ovulate around the middle of the cycle. And then the luteal phase is the second half. And that's normally the time when most women will find they get some symptoms because of the increase in estrogen. And sometimes you're not producing enough progesterone in that second half. That is what causes the lack of sleep, mood, water retention, breast tenderness, those kind of things. Those are probably the common things to look out for. And an element of that is normal. So what's normal for different women is, you know, let's say I'm... 38 next week so I've always had breast tenderness before a period or that's normal for me and so I know when it's when it's really bad I try and supplement with evening primrose oil bit of starflower oil diet and exercise I think are incredibly important and I can't emphasize enough and what kind how... of things are you advocating in terms of diet just the usual stuff I guess yeah low carb you know that carbohydrate refined sugar synthetic sweetness late night sugar and alcohol it is it's out because it's the sugar and alcohol I feel considerably worse yeah they just used to exaggerate the symptoms tenfold I mean I've got a terrible sweet tooth it was very easy for me to give up certain alcohols Um, so for me I only ever drink clear spirit now so Mm. I can drink a vodka and I can be fine it's relatively Mm. low sugar Mm. I could not drink a bottle of wine Mm. or a glass of champagne I mean I could now I'm on HRT but I gave it up over 15 years ago because my body simply couldn't metabolize it. it it was affecting my sleep patterns it was affecting my body temperature control it was affecting my concentration and so both of you seem to be saying that sugar is is instrumental yeah. negatively instrumental for some women sugar yeah. and alcohol yeah. yeah and alcohol obviously metabolizes into yeah. sugar yeah. yeah it's so again you say you can drink clear spirits because of it's not the sugar whereas yeah. wine tends to be a real killer for and most patients because it makes flushes <laughs> worse you know and It does. So I generally say even from your 20s and 30s, it is a lifestyle because I do think although women, girls in their 20s will probably not be listening or even remotely thinking about the menopause, what you do in your 20s and 30s will have an impact on what your lifestyle is (laughs) like. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I think if you can try and speak to your mother, but I remember my mother is the generation, so she's the sort of raised in the, the... 40s and 50s who didn't speak about those things and my mother said to me well I didn't have a menopause because I had a hysterectomy when I was yes, 40. That was, in those days everyone's mum had a hysterectomy yeah. it seemed like they used to whip it out it was like tonsils but I also said to her well did they leave your ovaries in? I don't know. I didn't ask. I know it's funny isn't it? I have friends now who are in early perimenopause and they're just being given short shrift. They're just being well, given either the pill well, or the Mirena coil and being told to go away. Well, I was. I was literally told to go away. So my NHS GP, and God knows I love the NHS, they saved my son's life. They've done no end of good for my family. Um, but my NHS GP said, your thyroid doesn't work properly and you're deficient in some hormones, come back next year. And that's how I ended up going to the London Hormone Clinic, where, full disclosure, I am a patient, but I pay the same as anybody else, and found out that actually... The madness I had been feeling for 18 months was a hormone 
issue. And I think very often women coast on and on and on just feeling like crap and not really knowing why because nobody really listens to them. And then you get given your prescription and five days later it's like... Yeah. The light comes yeah. down. <laughs> and you think, I feel human I would, again. I would normal. urge anybody who's been feeling pretty rotten and they're roughly that age for quite a while to, if they can afford it, get some bloods done or ideally from their NHS GP and just see what's going on because and there very often is something going on. In support of the NHS, my sister's experience was completely different. Yes, it's she a had lottery. a brilliantly yeah. empathetic female GP who recommended she go to her nearest Clinical Teaching Hospital Menopause Clinic. It's Exactly. It's such a lottery. You mentioned um, HRT then. I want to go into the next question because this is such a common one. Amalia, I'm sure you'll have strong feelings about this. Deborah wants to know, how long will my doctor let me stay on HRT for? Should I push to go beyond five years? And if so, for how long? That is dependent on what HRT you're on. So... With conventional HRT, which is kind of the old style patches and things, which has, just to be clear, the synthetic progestogen in it, the guidelines are, I think it's actually 10 years now, it's not even five years, you're safe to be on it for about 10 years. Inevitably, your GP will then be keen to take you off it because we're not really sure of the risk profile kind of over 60. There possibly is a slight slight increased risk of strokes and heart attacks and breast cancer, but still a very, very small increase in breast cancer when you're on it for a longer period of time. So that will depend on your GP. With bioidenticals, the thoughts are they are generally safer. We don't have the 20, 30-year studies of women on bioidenticals, but if we're not giving women the synthetic progestogen, we use bioidentical progesterone, the risk factor profile isn't there. So to be honest, from a healthy ageing point of view, I personally don't take women off it. What is a bioidentical hormone replacement? Bioidentical hormone, or what's also called body-identical hormone, they are the same thing. They are the exact chemical structure to our own body's hormones. So when you put back bio or body identical, you are giving back what the body used to produce. So estrogen is estradiol, progesterone and testosterone. And the body will recognise them and metabolise them out the same way as it did when you produce those hormones yourself. Synthetic hormones have a different chemical structure. But it would be a bit like using, let's say, natural honey and a synthetic sweetener. We know now that synthetic sweeteners like aspartamate and things, your body thinks it's sugar, so it tastes the same and it thinks, oh, this is nice. But we know that your body can't break it down because it's a synthetic chemical. And that's the same thing with progesterogen, which is what you get in the pill, in the Mirena, in synthetic HRT. And in the Mirena, it's slightly lower dose, so it's not as much of an issue. But in synthetic HRT, it's the progestogen that is the, gives you the risks of HRT, not the oestrogen. So another question here from Rachel. How to start adjusting my makeup as my skin and hair change colour? For example, makeup with grey hair. I love this question because lots of people don't think of it, I think. when Because I love grey hair, I love white hair, but very often when people transition either chemically or naturally to grey or white, they still do the same makeup. I, I think the key thing for most people as they get older is your face seems to lose definition. And by that, I mean, when you start to lose pigment, you don't only lose it in your hair and your hairline, you start to lose it in your brows and your lashes and your lips. And I think for me, it's why I'm so obsessed with putting definition back in. A good tinted brow gel, actually go a shade darker than you think you would normally go, is really important. Define your lips. And that isn't necessarily with a heavy lip liner. It could literally be a, uh, a clear 
clear wax transparent lip liner just to make sure that you, any lip colour you put on stays in place. And I think tight lining is really important. I was taught by the amazing Hannah Martin from Bobby Brown to tight do it. Tight lining is very effective. And tight lining is simply putting uh, an eyeliner pencil or an eyeliner gel into the very base of the top lashes. And if you can, on the inner eyelid at the very top. And it sounds like a strange thing to do. But once you master it, it puts the definition back because your eyelashes do start to fade as you get older. So brows, lip liner, eyeliner. I agree with Nadine on definition. I would also say that um, there are so many different shades of grey hair that all lovely and good if you have that very bright white, snow white hair, which is so beautiful. But salt and pepper is a different thing. And if you find that your grey is slightly on the dull side, I do think that the face wants some light bringing back mm-hmm. to it. And I think things with light reflection, and I don't mean spangle that are going to settle into your pores and make you look like you've got craters on your face, but just a little bit of light reflecting technology, I think, can do wonders. Just bringing back light onto the face. Kynwin wants to know, breast cancer chemo slammed me into menopause at 45, causing poor facial muscle tone and sagging. What are the best treatments given HRT is probably unwise? So first of all, could you just briefly explain why she's describing HRT as unwise in her case? With any breast cancer patients, it's quite important to determine what kind of breast cancer they had. If you had a non-hormonal breast cancer, you're at the same risk as everyone else with HRT. So I have plenty of patients who've had a non-hormonal breast cancer that you give them HRT as you would any other woman. If you've had a hormone-receptive breast cancer, that's slightly different because you have to be a bit careful with hormones. It doesn't mean you would never treat them. I do have some patients who've had breast cancer and it's hormone-receptive, but their symptoms are so terrible that we do have them on a low dose. But I normally will always work in conjunction with an oncologist or their breast surgeon or somebody because at 45... If your symptoms are so awful, most women will come in and say, do you know what, I understand the risks, I know maybe I'm at higher risk. You mammogram them regularly, you let them check their breasts, but it's quality of life as well. You can get an oestrogen facial cream that we use that's actually prescribed, it has to be prescribed so you can't buy it over the counter. Um, And for some women it is a miracle cure for skin and it's very locally acting. So possibly for somebody... If the skin is particularly an issue, you can use it on the skin. Unfortunately, you can't use it as an overall body cream, so it doesn't plump up the whole body, but more for the face. And that would be probably for sagging the loss of elasticity in the skin after menopause. And am I right in assuming said potentially hugely effective face cream is not available on the NHS? No, you can't, because these are particularly compounded type products that you can get. But standard bioidenticals are... Katie would like to know, is there anything that can be done about crepey neck, especially when the rest of your face looks youngish? Uh, I don't think there's any such thing as a product for your neck, uh, specifically. I think all products need to go from your hairline to your nipples. Uh, I neglected my neck, even though I was a beauty editor, all through my 30s because I simply didn't think I was going to get older just like I probably thought I was never going to go through the menopause. Um, And so nowadays, everything I put on my face, I put onto my neck. So I put all my hyaluronic acid, all my vitamin C, all my low-dose retinols on my neck. The good news, if you can get a really good injector nowadays, is what those skin boosters, so the Volite, uh, the Juvederm Volite or the Profilo, which are very, very, very liquid forms of hyaluronic acid, can be injected under the skin of the neck and plump it up. And in the process of injecting, you also sort of set up a wound 
wound healing process where you strengthen the skin as well. Mm -hmm. And I've seen some amazing results on the neck, but also for me personally, on the crepey chest where I've sunbathed in the 70s and 80s, which I greatly regret. I couldn't agree more. And given how many neck creams cost upwards of 150 quid, what can product do? Product can improve condition and surface. But what can treatments do? They can improve structure. Yes. What is the best way to tackle red veining, Ruth asks? I must say that red veins can be very effectively treated for not that much money in skin clinics, in my experience. I agree Mm. with IPL. I think it's a combination of the fact that you're you're continually flushing, therefore mm. you're stretching your capillaries. And at the same time, because of the lack of estrogen, your collagen is beginning skin, to deplete. Your skin, so you, thinner, your yeah, skin so. becomes thinner. And I'm a an IPL laser person. It's relatively Love cheap. IPL, yeah. There's a, an amazing um, collection of clinics available on High Street called SKN. Skin, yes. And they're amazing. And they they're are really reasonably priced. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and interestingly enough, they work very well on the face. I think for the if you are talking about body on the legs, I do think that sclerotherapy is better for the legs, which is the injection of the the sclerosing agent that essentially just collapses down the tiny little spider veins you get on your. And that is available on the NHS in lots of cases, I believe so. Natalie wants to know what do I do with dreaded hormonal chin hair other than pluck it out, which I have to say I find enjoyable. <laughs> I find it weirdly satisfying. I don't have enough, maybe, to. I think when um, you have one or two, it yeah. may be, but I think yeah. when, they're in 10 years faster, when they're growing faster than you can yeah. pluck, I think that becomes a problem. Again, I think that's mainly due to when your hormones drop off, you get an increase in androgens. So if you put the oestrogen and progesterone back, so you put your bioidenticals back into the body, it tends to balance things out again. So the androgens don't have such a strong force coming through, if that makes sense. So, yeah, it would be put the oestrogen and progesterone back. And I would say home IPL. And the secret secret to home IPL um, and companies like Philips um, have them. Braun Braun have them. Yeah, exactly. The secret to that is twefold. Buy the cheapest machine you can. Black Friday deals, Christmas deals, whatever. And they're always in Black Friday deals. They're always in Black Friday. Don't buy the latest one that costs £500. Try and get one around £200, £250. And get those hairs before they go grey, because once they're grey, you You can't get rid of them. (laughs) Yeah, then you're back to good old-fashioned... Electrolysis. Electrolysis. Yeah. Gosh, Which you never hear about you anymore. Hear? But yeah. actually it is the only option. If you if there isn't enough of a colour contrast between your skin and your hair, so if you are a woman of colour or if you are a white woman with blonde hair or pale red hair, you're absolutely right. It, you know, the IPL won't pick it up. The good news for women of colour actually is that if you go in clinic, there are increasingly sophisticated lasers that can work right up to probably Fitzpatrick four, maybe not Fitzpatrick five. Katerina is saying menopausal, claggy and clammy skin. Is skin suitacles age plus blemish the only option? It's certainly not the only option, Nadine. There's never a single option for any any problem. Um, I... There's not a lot you can do for clammy skin. We happen to be recording this on one of the hottest days of the summer. For clogged skin, your key active ingredient is a salicylic acid. It's a resurfacing acid that happens to be attracted to oil, so it deep dives into your pores. But the secret is go on to Google and just simply Google salicylic acid 2% 
serums, gels, that's what you need. And I have to say, you do suffer, most people do suffer from a slight increase in, in, in breakouts. And it's that, it's the, it's the increase in androgens and the reduction in estrogens. I always find when I meet women who have menopausal skin concerns, I usually find that whatever their skin was before, it gets turned up to 11. Mm-hmm. And so if they had breakouts every now and then, breakouts will manifest more regularly. If they were on the dry side, they become very dry. If they're a little bit sensitive, they become super sensitive. For me, the key active ingredients are already available. They 100%. are hyaluronic acid. They are salicylic, salicylic acid. They are retinol. They're vitamin. C, their niacinamide. These active ingredients we know work. Unfortunately, we literally can't talk about this enough <laughs> because that's the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me, Amalia and Nadine. And we will be back next time. Please do keep asking your questions. You can tag me anywhere on social media. I'm Sally Hughes or on Facebook on Sally Hughes Get the Look and just hashtag beauty podcast with Sally and I will come and find you and try and answer your question. In the meantime, you've been listening to Sally Hughes and this podcast was brought to you by Avon.